Matthew 13, verses 1 through 4. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. This is verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is Hebrews 3, starting in verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning. So last week we uh, began a new series uh, that's going to take us um, to uh, right up to Advent, and uh, it's called Wellspring of Life, and I did a painting uh, to make the graphic. Um, Just kidding, guys, that's Van Gogh. Um, That's a pretty good start, though. so we get this, uh, the title for this series, Wellspring of Life, from a translation of this ancient Hebrew proverb that we looked at last week from Proverbs 4. Uh, it says, guard your heart, it is the wellspring of, of life. From your heart flows everything that you do. Uh, so just considering that for a moment, it's what we, we looked at in depth last week. This is, your, your heart is the seat of your deepest desires. It is the place where... Um, uh, the place of volition and action in your life. And we spent last week asking the question, how do you get at what's really in there? And one diagnostic tool is to ask yourself, what do you really want the most? Uh, and then to try to be honest with that question. What, 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 is, what has shaped my vision of the good life so that what I find as far as the deepest desires in my heart are, are a pointer to that? Like, what, what do I want most that tells me something about my heart? And so then we talked in... in, in at length about how, how you would go about shaping that once you found out what was, what was in there. We talked about going before the word of God, being people of the word, uh, lis- listening regularly, hearing regularly, reading regularly the word of God. And, th- and this week, the, the next step is that is, is responsiveness. How, how do you respond once you've, once you've heard? And so this, this, uh, we just read the very you know, beginning and then a little bit in the middle of one of Jesus' most enduring and famous parables, the parable of the sower, um, it inspires Van Gogh's painting. Uh, you, you might have heard it called the parable of the soils, but it's a very simple agricultural extended metaphor where you see seed is described as being sown, it's scattered, and it lands in uh, different soils. 
And each of the soils represents a different condition of the heart. So the control in the, in the experiment is the seed. It doesn't change. The seed is sown, um, but the conditions of the heart and the corresponding responses change. And so this, the next four weeks, we're just going to look at, like, we're just going to like pause and sit in this parable for four weeks and, and look at these conditions of the heart and see what they have to say to us. Um, the first one is a hardened heart. So how many of you brought a friend? Fantastic. Perfect week. We're just going to be talking about hardened hearts. The seed that falls along the path, it doesn't sink in, and then it's taken away. So, great. Um, there, was, <laughs> there was not a lot of initial enthusiasm in me um, about giving a sermon on, on hardened hearts. Uh, it's not the same, you know, uh, you know, like enthusiasm that you might have on giving a sermon on the love of God. How long and high and deep and wide is the love of God? Hardened hearts just is a, a, little less, a little less inviting. But I did have a suspicion right away as we began to, to think through this series and pray about this particular week that there would be something pretty useful in us to consider. Consider what hardened hearts are and, and, um, and how, how that can be a real condition of our, of our human experience. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us that whatever that... that Whatever that, that useful part of this is, that, that God would make it, make it known to us. So let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this room. I believe that, um, that the people who are here, uh, that, that you have brought them, God, that you are, um, when we, we participate, we make choices, we, 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 we get up and, and come, God, but that, that, that you are uh, a good, sovereign, shepherding father, and that you are orchestrating our lives, and that you are, you're weaving them together with this community, and so I, I do believe that there's something you want all of us to hear together this morning, and I do believe there's many things you want us to hear as individuals. So I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to us from this parable, what you want to say to us about the conditions of our hearts, Lord. I just ask you to transcend everything that's been planned and just do the, the work that, uh, that only you are able to do in the, in the secret places of our lives and in and uniting us together as a community to hear your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one reason that I, I, I did have an initial suspicion that even though having hard hearts isn't the most thrilling subject for a sermon, that it would be useful for us is by, by the time you get to Jesus' teaching in this parable where he's going over these conditions of the heart and he starts with this, this hardened heart... Uh, you're in the Gospels, right? So a lot, if you're holding a Bible, uh, you know, you don't get this effect if you're scrolling through it on your phone, but if you're holding the Bible, you, you, like where you are in the book, a lot of ground is are, uh, has already been covered. And the subject of hardened hearts comes up a ton in the, in the scriptures. It comes up in personal accounts. It comes up in, in histories being told. It comes up in Proverbs. It comes up in prophetic warnings and on and on. And so if that's true, and I would be really excited to give a talk on how, how long and high and deep and wide is the love of God. I believe that about God and his character. And then I see over and over again, he's warning about this condition of a hardened heart. Those things go together. It must be loving for God to to be identifying this condition that can happen to us, and, and there's the catastrophic consequences in most cases where someone goes on without acknowledging a hardness of heart, and then all of a sudden they just wake up in this moment where like their life is crumbling around them. So it, if God really is this, this loving God that, that we like to hear about, then we also need to hear his loving instruction and warning on, on what can happen in the condition of our heart. So I want to try to be as simple and, and helpful as possible today. I want to answer three, three questions. What is a hard heart? 
How do you get a hard heart? And what should you do if you have a hard heart? So that's what we're going to try to do. If we get to the end and we've done that, fantastic. Then we'll sing. We'll take communion. If we get to the end and we haven't done that, you know what we're going to do? Sing and take communion. So um, for our first, what, what is a, a, a hard heart? We just like let our imagination sort of tr- trace over the words of the parable. What is a hard heart? In Jesus' parable, the picture is, uh, of this first heart condition is a path that it's going through the field, right? This is the, the path that the, the travelers or the farmers themselves take. It's a, it's a path that's been made by people walking on it, and that's what's, that's what's trampled it down and, and, and made it hard. And so it's gotten to this place over and over where this soil can't receive anything. The seed falls, it does not sink in, and then it is taken away. Now, as I said... Like, if you just have that, there's a lot of speculation about, well, what, what are the criteria? Like, it's, it's tempting when you look at a parable as involved as this one to try to make every single detail of the story mean something. And that's a, a tricky way to interpret Jesus' parables. Usually he's trying to make, you know, just one or two, like, large points. And so we don't want to make ev- everything into, to, you know, an allegory for something else. But we do happen to have a lot of resources in the scriptures for knowing what this heart condition looks like. We have a lot of stories about uh, personal accounts about hardened hearts. So the first one I want to mention to a famous example of a hardened heart in the scriptures is Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh is is the leader of of Egypt at the the time um, that that Moses comes and asks for the people of Israel to be let go from their bondage. Uh, 400 years they had been in slavery. Now, initially the empire that that Jacob and his sons traveled to was welcoming them. They were refugees in a time of famine and Egypt welcomed them in. And there were stores of grain. um, And so they came in they grew up as a nation in in Egypt. Well, eventually the Pharaoh that, 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 that knew them and had had sort of arranged for them to be taken care of was gone and they just became part of the economic system and it was their slave labor that helped helped build and grow the empire so Moses comes with a message from God a seed an invitation he comes into Pharaoh's court we know some of the details from the uh, the uh, the cartoon movie Prince of Egypt about you know what was going on in Moses life before it's also in the Bible and a command, actually, from God to come in to, to, for Pharaoh to align his heart with God's heart in, in this particular way. So Moses comes in, he sings a famous song. You know this song? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my people go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. You guys, that's a great song. That's on, a, I think that's on Latin, Young Oceans recorded that uh, in Latin. Um, So Moses comes and he says, God, God is, and Moses was sort of quaking in his, in his shoes as he came forward to, to this powerful man. And he said, I, I want you to let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't. Um, and, and the description is that Pharaoh's heart became, became hard. That, it, that his heart was hardened. And he goes through this long process with the plagues. Um, but over and over again, his greed, his, 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 his power, his pride will not allow him to set these people free. And so he, he continues to be in this place of unresponsiveness to God's invitation. Even when God demonstrates in dramatic fashion his power over and against all the rival gods of, of Egypt, one by one throughout the plagues, still, like Pharaoh gets to the point where he's totally overwhelmed, it looks like he's going to finally relent, finally give in to, to God's invitation and, and let the people go. And then he gets right to the point of decision and his heart is hardened and he refuses. Now, the result of Pharaoh's hardness of heart doesn't stop the plans of God's freedom for his people. Um, 
God had them in mind, but it does bring catastrophic results for Pharaoh, for Pharaoh's family, and for Pharaoh's nation. So one of the things is that to go on with hardness of heart unchecked, in this particular instance and others that we're going to look at, it ends up, you get to this place of just alarming, sort of shocking wake up where you realize, oh my gosh, I'm, and I'm too far in. Like the, the picture in, the, in this story is so intense, they're literally, they're, they're way too far in the water and they can't come back and that's, that's it. Saul, Israel finally gets free, goes through the wilderness, they get, they get established as a new nation, they start looking around, God is their king, but other nations have people for kings, and they're like, we need to be like other nations, we've got to start fitting in and being our own people, and so they say, God, we want a king, he's like, I'm your king, he's like, yeah, but we want a king, he's like, fine, and, and what a, like, a troubling instance, God grants the answer to their prayer, even though it seems like it's not what he wants for them, so we have Saul, the first king of Israel. And his heart, begun, he, he begins in, in, in a good fashion, God, God installs him, but then eventually he gets to the place where his heart begins to become hardened. He refuses to listen to God, he's operating out of just his best ideas, and this is really crucial. He makes some, some serious mistakes, but when he's confronted about those mistakes, at the moment of decision, what are you going to do about this confrontation of how you've been going your own way instead of God's way? He hardens his heart. He, ref- he refuses responsiveness to God's invitation and God's love in, in, in that moment. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do this biblical word repentance, which is this w- word that means reorienting your life and, and, and changing and going in a different direction. He's unwilling to do that. And so he loses his kingship. And we know that he loses that to David. And David is a, a really good example of the, the opposite of this reality in, in Saul. So just in story form, just for a minute, for us, for us to get it. David also makes massive and horrible mistakes. He has an affair. He arranges for the, the, husband, uh, to, to, for the husband's death. And he's going on about his life when the prophet Nathan comes into the palace and confronts King David about his affair, about his uh, conspiracy to commit murder. And David initially is shocked. And then when he realizes that it's him that's being confronted, that he's the one who's done wrong, he's completely broken. And he responds to God's conviction. He responds to this invitation of God to realign his life. If you want to know in detail what David's response looks like, read Psalm 51. It's one of the most compelling and beautiful pictures of, of a heart that is not hardened, that is broken, and, is, and, the, and the ground is, is ready to receive God's mercy. So there, there's, there's, there's just, that's just two. Uh, Israel's prophets confront Israel as a nation for hardness of heart a bunch of different times we're not going to get into right now. But flash forward to one more example. And this person would have been in the crowd as Jesus was teaching. He would have been listening to the parable of the sower. Uh, You might have already guessed, Judas, right? An example of an extended look at a hardening heart. Judas heard Jesus' teaching. Judas Judas saw Jesus' miracles. Judas had responded to an invitation from Jesus to come and follow him, to be a part of the kingdom, to share. And Judas, in the the sort of construct of this parable, had had so much seed thrown his way. But his heart became hardened, and how? How? Through unresponsiveness. Somehow Judas was able to stay in a posture where he, where he heard, where he listened. Maybe even he gave mental assent. I mean, he kept following. But at some point he was not responding to the message that Jesus was, was giving. To the invitation of embrace and love and change. In fact, his own agenda eventually got him to the place where he was willing to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So, those few examples. What is a hard heart? 
I'll, I'll put this out. I, I think it is a spiritual condition in which a person has become unwilling and then unable to respond to God's invitation. A hardened heart is a spiritual condition in which a person has become unwilling and then unable to respond to God's invitation. Essentially, a hardened heart in this instance is unresponsiveness to God. We may hear, but we're not willing to change. We may be, we may be mentally moved, but it never sinks down into the level of our hearts. And Jesus' explanation when he explains the parable is that there, there was not understanding. There was initial confusion. But that initial confusion wasn't followed up with, with further questions. You see the, the opposite in the disciples. They're confused a ton. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. And they're following around, sort of tugging on, like, Jesus, can you explain this, this thing that you just did? And, and they get the explanation. But when we have that initial unresponsiveness, where there's confusion, we don't understand, and then we, then we just don't move forward from there. The scripture is saying that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. Basically, that we should be greatly concerned. When we search our hearts and we find apathy, we should be concerned when we search our hearts and we find apathy, especially connected to God and his kingdom. If, if, if those things, and if God and those concerns don't rise our, our affections very far, far, then we should ask the opposite question, which is gets asked in the rest of the parable even more in depth, but what is it then that we're enthralled by? So... Right? We're slogging through this, this tough part together. Here, we're doing, you're doing great, okay? Just want you to know that. But um, in, the, in the hard heart, there is little or no recognition of God. Now, I'm not talking about what you say. You can have a hard heart and be a really articulate theologian. It's not what you say, but it's, how you, it's what your life presents. So are, are, you, are you living like you, you recognize your need of God? In the, in the hard heart, the soil of our affections is put to an entirely other use. It's not farmland anymore. It's being trampled over by something, some, something else. It's not a place where the things of God are, are growing. It's just passing through. And, and it says the enemy's work in this instance is the work of removal. This isn't conflict, right? It's just removal. It's just taking the seed away, because it's laying there right, right on, on, on the surface. We, we hear God's voice, but we aren't fully perceiving it. It has not sunk in, and then it is gone, and we're on to something else. We haven't responded. And then the opportunity, at least in that moment, the opportunity is gone away. So, that was question one. We did it together. Um, we, we were getting to answer, what is a hard heart? And then you're also starting, we're starting to get, now, get into the territory of how do you get a hard heart? Everyone, that's the question everyone's ans- asking. How do I get a hard heart? I want a hard heart. What are the steps? <laughs> tell, tell us, Pastor. How do you get a hard heart? A, a, a couple of reasons. And obviously, this is for the sake of, of warning us and di- diagnosing our own lives and seeing, is this taking place? Where is this taking place? In what areas is this taking place? But how do you get a hard heart? The first is the trampling effect. Um, and, and the way this works, I think, is that you become indiscriminate with who and what you let shape your heart. The trampling effect takes place in your life when you become indiscriminate about the voices that you listen to to shape your life. You stop paying attention to what is shaping your heart and your vision of the good life. You you allow many people, unwittingly at times, we allow many who do not have our best interests in mind to tell us what we should be doing with our life, to, 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 to capture our imaginations with the way that we should live, to give what the, you know, the philosophers call a telos. We receive this telos from people whose basic interest in us is the bottom line of their project. They, they, want, they want to use us in their thing. 
and, 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 and we can be helpful in, in advancing their cause, but if we're receiving the telos from some, someone or something who doesn't have our best interests in mind, then it's a trampling effect of our heart and affections. There's, there's, a, there's a story in, um, in Mark, Mark Sayers has a book called Facing Leviathan, and there's a, a, a short story that he recounts in there by this French author, uh, Guy de Maupassant. It's called A Parisian Affair. Uh, you may have had to read it coming through school. But the story opens like this. Um, there's there's a, a woman, she's living in the French countryside, and she's dreaming of a more exciting life than she's currently, currently living. Um, she's actually like in bed at night, laying there daydreaming about Paris, about a more exciting life while her husband is loudly snoring next to her. And so she's sitting there and she, she thinks life, basically like life's big questions have been answered for me. The big decisions have been already made. I'm now on a trajectory with no surprises and I'm just going to go on until my days are done just going through the duties of, the duties of life. I, I read that part and I thought of uh, Joan Didion has this character in one, of, in one of her books where she's writing. She's traveling through Louisiana. She meets this mom in this rural situation. She says to Joan Didion, I've never been anywhere I wanted to be. I've never been anywhere I wanted to be. Alice and I use that little catchphrase like when, when like we're just in the cra- craziness of a busy week and like we're, we're, we're running to, to practices or running to a challenging meeting or whatever and she'll look at me and she says, I've never been anywhere I wanted to be. And it, it, can, it, can, it can happen, right? Where you just like, you start to say, what's going on? Is this really it? Is this my life? And so while she's there laying in bed hearing her husband snore, she's imagining Paris and she's imagining it as the, uh, the polar opposite. Right, the grass is, 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 is greener in every way. There's bright lights. There's spontaneity. Now, how's she gotten this vision? She's read about it. Marketers for the city have, have, have told her how amazing it is. She's heard the story. She's, she's, she's read. She's allowed something to shape her vision of what this city could be in comparison to her ordinary, boring, snoring husband life. There's exciting indulgences and shameless vices. There's charmed nights and sexual escapades on, on a whim. People in Paris are really living. And she has late 1800s French FOMO begins to set in. <laughs> so eventually she comes to this place where she, she, she invents a passable excuse for a visit to the city. And she arrives and the first part is frantic. She's searching in, in, the, in the city for, uh, for what she's read about, for what she was expecting, and she can't find it. The Parisian life that she was sold uh, is, is, is not there. And she, she, she can't find it in any of the cafes, in any of the bars. And then she's moving through the day, and this increasing disappointment is beginning to, it's beginning to weigh on her heart. And then finally, she happens to meet this aging celebrity who happens to be well beyond his prime, but he's a celebrity nonetheless. And she finds him in a department store, and she is so like, excited at the prospect that she, she surprises herself. She throws her inhibitions away, and she begins like, shamelessly flirting, wooing this man's attention. And then she gets this spontaneous evening of her dreams. She's wined and dined. They, she, she sits on the front row uh, at the, of the balcony at the theater, and she gets such delight from seeing people see her up there and knowing that she's sitting with this celebrity, she, she imagines the questions running through their minds. Who is, who is, this, who is this woman? Why is, she, why is she with him? And she goes home with him afterward. The story ends after an awkward and unsatisfying sexual exchange. She's lying awake in the bed of the celebrity in a posh Parisian apartment, and he begins snoring next to her. The description 
that we talked about last week, that there are desires that they get in our hearts. We begin to entertain them. We, we've been indiscriminate about where they came from or the, the telos that they're leading us towards. But we begin to follow them because they're, they're enticing and they're present and they're in our, in, our, in our desire structure at this point. And we move forward and then it's this catastrophic moment that happens in an amusing way in the story. But tale after tale where this happens, it's like someone wakes up and they're like, what have I done? I, now I've like, I've betrayed my family. I'm in this place. It's nothing like I wanted. It's possible in our world to get everything that you wanted and be utterly devastated. Especially if our hearts have been discipled by disappointment. <laughs> because we've let things in there. We've, we've been indiscriminate about who we allow to shape the, our vision of life. And our hearts get trampled. And the eventual disappointment of these things, they don't, they don't satisfy us because they were never going to be able to. A, another way to get a hardened heart, step two in ways to get a hardened heart, is to choose numbness over confrontation. And... and there, there are times when the seed comes, this, this, a, word, a word from God, and there's life-giving potential in it. There's an invitation from God with life-giving potential in it. But for it to get in, it would be invasive. It would mean opening a part of yourself up. It would be mean, being willing, at least, to change on, on, on some level. It can, it can be challenging. You would have to face some things about yourself, perhaps. You would have to face patterns of behavior that you know right off the bat, without much reflection, probably need to go in your life. There would be a confrontation to your ego. And there would have to be a, a real sort of understanding. Is there a willingness to change here? And many of us faced with those options just choose numbness. And numbness will work for a while. Now, it will harden your heart, but it will work for a while. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not thrilled with how things are going in my life. There are real aches in my soul, but I know the exact number of, of, of glasses of wine or beer and, and television that will make that, the volume go way down on that for, for a night. I know this will work. I can choose numbness over confronting the aches and pains in my soul or, or an invitation from God, and I know that it will be effective for a time, even if it's not ultimately effective. I know there are things that I need to face, but avoidance and isolation will also work. I can choose numbness over confrontation for a while. I know that I've been down the same road many times, but I'm just going to fill another week so so slam full of things that I never have to slow down and face what's going on in my heart. So it can be through numbness through busyness, numbness through isolation, numbness through indulgence in, 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 in entertainment and substances, right? We allow... we allow and entertain distraction instead of cultivating presence. Thomas Merton has this fa- famous saying of, of, of talking about how many ills in our world come because we just can't sit alone in a room in silence. Because all of a sudden you're there five minutes, ten minutes, and things begin to come up that are, that are present. And rather than confront them, we choose numbness. And that is a way to get a hard heart. Francis Buffer says, if you won't hear the bad news about yourself, you can't know yourself. You condemn yourself to the maintenance of an an exhausting illusion, a false front to yourself, which keeps keeps out doubt and with it hope, change, nourishment, breath, life. If you won't hear the bad news, you can't begin to hear the good news about yourself. There are others, but the the last way that I'll say that you you can move towards getting a hard heart is to live with ideas without action. And it's immediately simple, but you hear something, maybe you even agree with it, there's mental assent, but it doesn't sink into your life. You, have a, you, you think a certain set of things about God, 
you think a certain set of things about the world, you believe yourself to be a certain type of person, but our actual lives are saying something else. And if you live in that state for a long time, it has a hardening effect. This is why, and this is, if you're a regular at any church, this is why there's a danger in that. There's a danger in seeing and hearing and not responding. There's a danger in in just saying, I mentally agree with that, so I think that reality is present in my life. Judas heard the best teaching, saw the most profound miracles, heard the most compelling invitation in the world. He heard it over and over again for three straight years, and he just didn't respond. And then eventually, 30 pieces of silver and the opportunity to, to advance himself or whatever his motivation was weighed more than Jesus for him. living with ideas without action. And I want to say, and this is like a Brooklyn 2017 issue. I think that we live in a time where this is particularly inviting and easy for us to, to, to get stuck in. We, 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 look, we live in a, this way of getting a hard heart, living with ideas without action, is a particularly challenging time uh, for, for us. Marshall McLuhan uh, famously said, the, the medium is the message. And... Uh, it, it's, it's been quoted and repeated many times. Neil Postman took that idea and just talks about it a lot in a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death and how we integrate technology into our lives in particular ways. But he basically says, says this, and I'll try to, to, to give my understanding of what he means. Basically that the form of a medium, the way you receive a message, attaches itself to that message and helps, tra- it, it shapes and transmits and conveys meaning based on how, how, how you receive it. There's a symbiotic relationship created between the medium that influences how the message is received. And, and so, so, right, if you were friends with someone and then a, a dear friend came into your living room and sat down and held your hand and told you that someone you know had passed away, how you would receive that is a certain way. Now, if you just saw a ticker tape flashing on the bottom of your screen that your friend had been in a car accident or something like that, like, it would, it would be different, right? So you just begin initially to, to understand, okay, the medium of how we receive information affects our perception of it and then our response to it. So just, and these, these are, made, like, I just... Made a collection, but imagine you begin to scroll through your social media feed, and you're just like sitting there. You got five minutes on the train, and your thumb's just going up. And what do you see? California wildfires, political tensions, Harvey Weinstein's super creep. My my boss is on vacation in Sonoma, and the pictures look amazing. The Yankees lost. Uh, Alpha starts Tuesday. Puerto Rico is still devastated. My aunt Heather dyed her hair a new color. There's a funny SNL sketch someone retweeted. Refugees drowned while fleeing a war zone. Now, I've just been sitting on the train for two minutes. I've scrolled through, and all that information has, has, been, has been bombarding me. Now, if I click on any one of the links, whether it's the funny SNL sketch or the news about the refugees, there'll be a bombarding amount of comments underneath where human beings are sitting in their bathrobes just like being horrible to one another. Because what's important, that I have the right ideas. I'm still sit, sitting there. Think about a f- f- funny SNL sketch. You remember the one with, uh, uh, what's his name? B- bald, hilarious, angry comic. Louis C.K., thank you. And Louis C.K., and they're talking about, like, he's sitting on his couch, and he's just, like, retweeting articles, and then they come, and they're like, you did it. You solved the problem. You ended racism. You ended injustice. Just you retweeted your friend's article, and that did it. You did, Congratulations. Go back and look at that. What's it called? You, you fix the problem, Frank. Well, I can't. Anyway, 
We're going to cut all this from the sermon. This is just for you guys. So what happens is we practice hearing really compelling, earnest needs, raising our eyebrows, moving on, and then hearing about a funny sketch and my aunt's new hair color, and then I've forgotten about the wildfires, and then I've forgotten, like, we're we're discipling ourselves in this place of unresponsiveness, and part of it is the sheer volume of information, part of it is the mediums by which we're reacting to it, but then we come into church, and, and we expect, like, I want to hear something interesting. I hope, it's a, I hope it's a compelling and shortish sermon. And then I hear it, I raise my eyebrows, and I move on. I do the exact same thing. I, I, I like the ideas. I'm interesting to banter them back and forth. But I don't have to let them sink down and get in my bloodstream and become action. When we do the same with God and his word, the results are catastrophic. They're all for our heart. Our hearts do get hardened. So... The last thing I want to say is, uh, what should you do if you, if you have a hard heart? And this is going to seem like, after all this build up, just absurdly simple. But uh, the first thing is ask for God's help. Um, and, and I mean that like, because the parable itself presupposes that people's hearts are going to be in different places. So some of you like... God and his word may have no interest to you at all. And you are so welcome here. Please keep coming back. Check out Alpha. Some of you, you like you've, you've been trained in your heart after coming to services that you, you, you were with me from page one. We could have stopped and we, you've been ready to pray and respond to God. But whatever place you are, if you have no interest, there's only confusion. You can still ask for God's help. You can say, God, if you're out there and I'm not sure you are, can you put a spark of interest about this, this, this for me in my heart? You can ask God to, to stir you. If you feel nothing, maybe you have some movement in your heart, but you, but you know it's just the, the very tiniest bit, then follow the bit that you know now and take the one step that, that, that you feel God in, in inviting you to make. The key, the key to breaking up a hard heart is responsiveness, responsiveness to God. Last week we talked about get yourself in contact with the word, and the next, the next part is be responding to that word, like Develop a practice. We were, we were talking in the Brooklyn interview series, the first, the first week of it that, that we're going along with this series, we were talking about how Tyler Staten from Trinity Grace Williamsburg and I studied the Bible. We're just sharing different things. And he, he said, every time I, I read it, I, I, I put something in my journal. It's like, here's a practical response that I want to make to this word. I want to ask this person for forgiveness, or I'm going to start praying for these three people, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this secret act of generosity for my friend. Like, I want to have some, some way of response. The, the, the way out of a hard heart is responsiveness. So whatever you you can begin and you're asking God for help and then you're, you're moving forward. If you have a deep stirring, then by all means, make a full surrender to the love of God. The, 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 the way this is described, this, this act of repentance, C.S. Lewis describes it in Mere Christianity so beautifully. I just want to read this to you as we prepare to close. Now, what was the sort of hole man had gotten himself into? He tried to set up on his own, to behave as if he belonged to himself. In other words, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you're sorry, realizing that you've been on the wrong track and getting to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of a hole. The process of surrender, this movement, full speed astern, is what Christians call repentance. Now repentance is no fun at all. 
It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we've been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a, a kind of death. I think that's a compelling description of, of repentance. But then in the next few paragraphs, Lewis goes on to talk about how you can't do repentance on your own. And he sets up this dichotomy. He's like, actually, those of us who need repentance the most are the worst at doing it. And the people who kind of like are, are actually good at repenting are, are, are like they end up needing like less and less de- degrees of it. You can't change a hard heart just by trying harder. But God is a part of his redemption plan. He made a promise to his people all, all the way back years before Jesus came. In Ezekiel 36, and this is what he said, I'm going to bring you to a time that's like this. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Basically, like how how on earth can you repent? You ask for help and, and you begin to respond. And God gives you his own spirit. His own life begins to break up the hardness of your heart. And so you're not doing it by religious achievement. You're doing it by surrender to the love of God coming through the gospel of Jesus. So we ask God to do. Do you want to know what God feels about your hardened heart? If you like kind of been kicking yourself a little bit as you've been hearing these descriptions, like, man, there's a lot of me in this. You want to know what God feels about your hardened heart? Jealous. Longing for it. He's not apathetic. He's, he, he's, he's jealous. I, I read this description and I, I did not plan to do this illustration, so if it takes it over, uh, us over time, blame someone else. Um, this guy did this, uh, I don't know what you're going to think about it, but he was counseling this couple, and apathy had come into the husband's heart about his spouse. And the, the counselor took them out to do this exercise. He took them to a bustling bar at, at happy hour time, and he sat with the husband across the bar, and the, and the wife sat, sat down at the bar. And it wasn't too long before men were chatting with her and, and, and like trying to strike up a conversation. And all the apathy that had been present in the husband, when he saw, like, oh my gosh, like... My wife is, is, like, people are desiring her. This is how I used to feel about her. What's, what's gone wrong? It awakened something in him. And the counselor said, there is instances where that type, where, where jealousy is good. I don't know what you think about that at all. But I thought of it just now, and now I've shared it with you, so we're in the weeds together. <laughs> but I say it because God's heart is not apathetic. And when he sees you being wooed, by other lovers, when he sees you being wooed by other telos, by other visions of life, when he sees your heart receiving into it a desire that if you follow it to its end is going to be catastrophic, his heart is jealous. He's longing for you. It says, it says that, that, that he's not a farmer who's given up on your patch of ground. He's continually sowing seed there. He's jealously longing for the day when a single sprout will come up from that ground. So ask God to plow. He wants to. Ask him to wake you up. Ask him to stir your longings, to break up the hardened ground in your heart. The last thing of what you should do if you have a hardened heart is not wait. Not raise your eyebrows, say that was interesting and move on. Here's the the last thing. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Because the numbing process, the deceptive process, does leave you in a worse place. A more hardened place. 
We have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Just as it has been said, today if you hear his voice, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I am fully convinced it has been interceded and prayed for and I believe that it is happening right now. The Holy Spirit is calling out to many of you right now. Today if you hear his voice, respond. Do not let our hearts become the trampled, hardened places where the sea cannot find root. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you would shine a light. You would expose our hearts for what they really are. Certainly that's what this parable is intending to do. To give us these different conditions, Lord. But just knowing, God, that we have hard places in our hearts or that our hearts have become hardened is not enough. We need you to break up the ground. We need you to draw us out by the invitation of your love. I thank you, Jesus, that though you didn't need repentance at all, you, you, you came and fully surrendered to the way of love and redemption for our sakes. So we, we are confident that you will help us, that you, you long to see our, our, our hard hearts broken up to put your spirit within us. Teach us, Lord, as a, as a whole church and as individuals, how to respond to your word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.